this morning, when we open up his word together in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, we're only going to look at a couple of verses, and we may not get all the way through your blanks. So if you're a blank filler in her, <laughs> you may be disappointed this weekend, but, but we're going to get as, through as much as we can that God has for us this morning. So watch this, Romans chapter 8. As we open his word together and we ask him that he would reveal himself to us in a deeper way. Verse 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Let's stop right there. We may not get very far at all this morning. All right. So throughout scripture, there are indicators so that you and I can know that we're believers. You know, there's been books of the Bible written around this subject so that there's tests or indicators that you have. Paul's going to give us two indicators that you and I can have some confidence that we are believers. And here comes the first one. He'll give us another one indicator as we walk through in another couple of verses. And so he says, so, okay, so for all who are led by God, by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. Now listen, that word led in the English language really doesn't communicate, it's really not as deep as the Greek. Because here's what we do, we kinda say, yeah, I'm led of God. In other words, I kinda, I'll follow him, but if he leads me to do something that's uncomfortable, if he leads me to do something that's embarrassing, or if his word speaks in an area and, and I'm just not really ready to do that, or I'm not wanting to do that, then I just won't do it. See, I'll, I'm, a fo- I'm a Christ follower, so he needs to show me in advance what he wants me to do, and then I'll decide. I'll make that decision. Well, that's not the strength of the Greek word. See, the strength word for led is a word of, edu- uh, of urgency. It means to be driven. It means to be a person that is driven. See, we use that all the time in our society. We'll talk about a man and say, that man is driven to be the number one golfer in the world. That woman is driven to be the number one tennis player in the world. Or that man in his profession or in her profession, you can tell she or he is driven to be the very best doctor, the very best realtor, the very best accountant, the very best salesperson, the very the very best nurse, the very best plumber, the very best carpenter. And so we say they are driven to do that. Or we'll look at somebody's life and we'll say, wow, they are driven with that hobby. And so what are we saying? They're not going around saying, you know, I just need you to know I'm driven to be the number one golfer. I'm driven in in a hobby or I'm, you know, you know, I'm driven to be the best. No, they don't really tell us that. How do we know? We observe their life. We observe what they give their time to. We observe what they give their priorities to. We observe what they give their money to. I mean, people that are driven, they'll give resources to things that they're driven about. See, it's totally different. It's this this deal that we are driven. And people who are around us, whether they're friends that we have, people that we work with, they are looking into our life and they say, wow, that man, that woman, they are really driven by God how they're lining their life up. And so Paul is saying for those of you that are driven to that level to where, you know, I don't like many uh, bumper stickers. I think both, most of them poor theology. And, you know, sometimes I'll pull up next to him and, and want to honk and roll the window down and say, hey, that, that bumper sticker you got, bad theology, buddy. I mean, that, that, that didn't even float. But anyway, one of, one, but I don't. But one of them that I really like is that, uh, uh, I, is something like this. I've said it like three times, and now it's just going, but it's, uh, 
God is my pilot, not my co-pilot, that type of deal. That's the picture of this. When we are driven by God, we surrender the driver's seat. We surrender the steering wheel and the, 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 the brake because sometimes we don't like the stops and, we, and, and, we, and sometimes we don't like how fast our life is moving. And, but we surrender all of that too. See, here's what I know. When I have moved over the console and taken over the driver's seat and taken over the steering wheel and everything else, I have goofed my life up bad. I mean, I've damaged relationships, damaged things in my life, that when I've been in control, it's been a difficult thing. And Paul is saying this, that when you are driven by God, you can be assured. And you are a son of God. Verse 15, here's what the scripture says. For all, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And small s, okay? Watch this. Here comes big s, Holy Spirit. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself. Here comes another indicator. The Spirit, Holy Spirit himself, bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I mean, Paul is saying, God wants you to have confidence that you're a child of God. God wants you to have confidence that you have this relationship with him. And the scripture says he is so determined that you and I would know that that his spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a believer. He doesn't want you to have to guess about that. He doesn't, have to, he doesn't want you to wonder that, will I make it, I'll barely make it, I hope I make it, I hope I have more good stuff than bad stuff, that type of deal. He wants you to know that, you know what? You are a child of God. And in that, there's security. And in that, there's confidence. Yes, I think there's times that every one of us should go through a period where we look at our life and say, God, am I really living what I believe? Am I really a follower of yours? Am I really being driven? I think that's healthy. It's not healthy to stay there, but I think it's healthy to look at. In fact, his first John was written to a group of believers that needed some confidence in their life, that God wanted them to know that, yes, you're believers, and here's how you can know. Here's the test. And so Paul is saying that, you know what? His spirit will bear witness with our spirit, and you'll just know that you know that you know. And so let's move on and see what else is here. And he says, verse 17, and if children then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer. That's sometimes why we move over on the console and take over everything because we don't like to suffer, right? Fact is, there's some health and wealth preachers that will tell you suffering's not part of the Christian life. He wants you healthy, wealthy, happy, and all those other things. But I need to tell you from his word, and God's trying to tell you that, you know what, there is suffering in the Christian life. There is heartache in the Christian life. There is disappointment in this world. There is pain. There is suffering. Provided we suffer, suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so Paul begins to talk to them about, about confidence. And Paul begins to relate to them that they were having some trouble with. And, and maybe you'll have some trouble this morning. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, He was relating to them that God is your heavenly father. Now, the problem with that with them and a problem with that with a lot of us is that if we're not careful, we'll begin to see God through the the grid of an earthly father and say, well, that's how God is. And so let me just kind of set you at ease and let's just kind of have a baseline before we move into these three points. And, and, And just let me tell you, I don't care how perfect 
your dad is or was, he's imperfect. I don't care how perfect you think he was and how great you think he was, that's fine and, and that's good, but he is still imperfect. I don't care how imperfect you think your dad was. Maybe there's some hurt there. Maybe there's some pain there. That is not the picture of a heavenly father, regardless of how perfect your dad was or imperfect your dad was, that God is a perfect heavenly father. You see, I kind of think that there's kind of two extremes for dads as I've looked at this. You know, Scripture says spirit and truth. You worship him in spirit and truth. So I think there's kind of two extremes. There's spirit and truth dads. So you can have a, a, a spirit dad, kind of a grace kind of dad, and a ga- dad that's been wired with grace. And so he probably didn't speak a lot of correction into your life. He didn't speak a lot of truth. And he loved you, and he accepted you. And when you did things that you shouldn't do, he thought it was kind of funny, and you kind of talked about it. But very seldom that there was any correction. Very seldom was there any consequences because he was a grace dad okay and so what can happen is is you can grow up and you can look at God through the grid of a grace dad and think well God doesn't really care how I live my life God really doesn't care about the sin of my life God really doesn't care that I don't really do everything that he's asked me to do because he's grace and and then you don't even view God as a God that disciplines when Hebrew says he disciplines and he corrects and so if you're not careful, and so then you, but the other extreme would be a truth dad. Now, a truth dad would be just rules and regulations and not a lot of relationship. It's just rules and regulations and letting you know wherever you failed, you didn't, you didn't live up to the mark. He's always correcting, always telling you how you could do it better, always giving you that feeling that you just weren't acceptable, you just couldn't cut it, you just couldn't make it. And the problem with that is you can view God as a God that is just unpleasable, a God that will never accept you, a God that is a slave driver. That's why I use the term, don't fall back into slavery from which you came. And see, the truth is this, that the grace dad has to move more to the center and be willing to speak truth into his children's lives even as uncomfortable as it is for him, even as hurtful as it is for him. He needs to understand that they, they need that. They need those boundaries. But the same is true that the truth, Dad, has to come more to the center and realize that, you know what? I need to affirm them. I need to love them. I need to accept them. They need to know, along with my wife, that I'm proud of them and they're acceptable. And so can we do this just for the sake of this talk? Because I'm so concerned that if we don't, you'll never really be able to receive what God has for you this morning. Whatever model of earthly dad you have or had, could you get that off the table and understand that all models are imperfect? And say, God, I want to see you as a heavenly father. I'm going to ask you to reveal yourself to me in that way. So three principles that, that Paul brought out in, in, in these, these just few verses that we're going to look at today about, father, about our Heavenly Father. The first one is this, is that you relate to Him out of love and not out of fear. 
that you learn to relate to him out of love and not out of fear. In other words, that, that the Jews and the people that, that Paul was talking to, and remember when we started this series together, I told you that Romans was written to brand new Christians. Romans is a, is a doctrinal book. Romans is a book that, that was critical. Fact is, one day in our church, we'll go through the book of Romans. It'll take us a year and a half, and I'm just not ready yet to give a year and a half yet and just like that and just, just buy into that. And so, uh, so, so we're, we're, I'm just not ready. And so, but when I'm ready, we'll do it. And so, but anyway, don't even know why I just shared that, but that's, that's just me. <laughs> Romans chapter eight is a chapter that set me free. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Romans chapter eight is kind of, is kind of what the first part of Romans first one through seven worked up to. And then, then Romans chapter eight was this hallelujah moment. And then the rest is try to, how to, how to live that out. But the Jews, they were viewing God kind of as a slave driver. They were trying to relate to him, even though they were in a new relationship, they're Jewish Christians and they're in the new covenant, but they were trying to relate to him out of the law and they couldn't keep the law. And so they were relating to him as fear and they were looking at God as a slave driver. And Paul needed them to understand that God is not unreasonable. He is not unpleasable, that he is a perfect heavenly father. And he wants them to relate to him out of love and not out of fear. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received what? You received the spirit of adoption. That's an important word. We'll come back to that. And as sons whom we cry, Abba, Father, he says, you are sons and daughters of, the, of God. In other words, when we became Christians, that our past was wiped away. It wasn't just wiped away. It was completely forgiven, and it was done, and it was over, and it was past. And because our past was wiped out, we now relate to him totally different. And we relate to him in fear. And you received a spirit, not of fear, but of sonship of a child. I mean, I don't, listen, I do not serve God out of duty or obligation. If you feel like you serve God out of duty or obligation, or you walk with him out of duty or obligation, you will always respond to him in fear and not in love. The first part of my ministry, this haunted me because I served him out of duty or obligation. Even though I moved my family a thousand miles and left grandparents and moms and dads and brothers and sisters and all the friends that we knew, gave up homes and possessions and came to Pueblo, Colorado and planted a church. And God has contended to do and God did some unbelievable amazing things in a church of a people group that were just following him and would have those services that were just off the charts and God did some amazing things and people are high-fiving they're high-fiving me on the way out and what a great God and how much has God done amazing service and all this other talk and all these other things but my wife knows the other side of that. Because I would go home. I'd say it just wasn't good. I could have done so much better. I should have said something different. I should have used a different word. I shouldn't have mispronounced that word or that group of words. Or I should have studied harder. I should have worked harder. 
I should have done things different. And I walked away from a God moment thinking I didn't measure up. I never heard, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because it was duty. When I came across Romans chapter 8 and studied it, God set me free. Some of you this morning, you need to hear God tell you, well done. Well done for your obedience. Well done. See, if you relate to him out of fear, if you relate to him out of obligation, if you relate to him and you feel like that you can just never measure up, then you will, you, you will not be able. The fact is, even when I said that, you will push back and say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You may have been talking to everybody else, but I don't know that God would tell me well done. And Paul is trying to get them to understand that we have a God when we are in Christ and we have received him and we have received adoption. That he is pleased with you. You ever had someone in your life, watch this, you ever had someone in your life that you just couldn't please? Whether it was a husband, a wife, whether it was a, a mom or a dad, and you couldn't please them. No matter what, they could criticize you. They could tell you how you should have done it better, how you should have done it different, what you should have said. How, and, and in their mind, they think they're being helpful. Anybody think that's helpful? Don't answer. And uh, rhetorical question. So what did you do? When you try to please someone that's unpleasable, here's what happens. You give up, right? You'll work harder for a period of time, and you say, I can please them. I can do this. I want to get their acceptance. Whether it's your husband, whether it's your wife, whether it's a mom, whether it's a dad, whoever. But the day will come when you work yourself to death and you say, I've worked as hard, I've tried as hard, I've done everything that I know to do, and I cannot get your acceptance, so guess what? I'm done. I give up. You'll walk away from the relationship, or you may not walk away from the relationship, but you'll just disconnect to where you become roommates in a marriage to where you become roommates in, a, in life, and you'll just kind of suck it up, and you'll just kind of gut through life. Many people do that with God. And Paul is saying, God does not want that type of relationship with you. He loves you. You relate to him out of love and, and not out of fear. See, the Jews were trying to live up to the, the law when they already knew they couldn't. And Paul is saying, he doesn't relate to you any longer through the law. He relates to you through love. He loves you and he cares for you. See, here's the problem. You and I cannot trust anyone we fear. You know that, right? And the reason you can't have trust or confidence in the Christian life is because the root issue, you may not totally trust God. That he has your best interest at heart. And when God says no to us, it is not out of judgment. It is not out of condemnation. It's because he cares for us and he wants the best for us. And, and here's the deal. When you trust God, you get that. When you trust God, you understand that. Psalms 145.9 says, The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. 
So you relate to God out of love and, and not out of fear. The second thing is this, is that he is distant. I mean, he is close, not distant. Now, some of you may have had a dad that was a distant dad that was disconnected from the family. He may have been in the family, but he really wasn't in the family and he wasn't really involved in the family. You may have had an absentee dad. You may have had a dad that, that abandoned all these sorts of things. But can I tell you, that's not the picture of your heavenly father. And you cannot look at God through the grid of an earthly father, no matter how perfect or imperfect that, that model may be. Verse 15, or 15, watch this. For you did not receive the spirit, small s, of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit, big S, Holy Spirit, you've received God, the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now this is so fascinating about this. This is really, Abba, Father, is really Father, Father in two different languages. Abba, Aramaic, Father, the Greek. Paul was like, oh man, you so gotta get this. I mean, I'm not going to trust an interpreter speaking with me. You have so got to get this and understand this. See, in their day, they spoke two primary languages, Aramaic and Greek. And so Paul is saying, Father, in both languages, so that everybody would get that. Everybody would understand that because this is a very personal term for God. It's a very intimate per term. It's not sir, but it is dad our daddy. It is intimate. It is a close relationship. It still acknowledges his authority in your life. Like dad has an authority in the family, God has an authority over your life. And Paul is saying that you relate to God in an intimate, personal way. Man, I'm telling you, that will change your prayer life. That will change your motivation to open up his word and read it. If you don't believe you can trust him, if you don't believe you're acceptable in him, if you don't believe that he cares for you and wants the best for you, then I'm here to tell you, you will never open up his word because you'll see judgment. You'll see condemnation. You'll see just another area where you couldn't live up to his standards. I'm telling you, God wants to establish a new relationship with them and he wants to establish a new relationship and a deeper relationship and a personal relationship with you. When Brittany and Amanda were young and they were in our youth group and uh, they went with Pastor Justin on a couple of mission trips and and, uh, and we would get those blanket emails like all the parents with all the kids that were in Nicaragua or, or Guatemala or wherever they were at the time. At the end of the day, network connect connections were kind of hard. And so Justin would send out a blanket email. And here I am, the pastor, and I, I know I'm admitting this to you. But, uh, and we'd get that blanket email. And my, both my daughters were on the trip. Uh, and it would tell how the trip is going and everything. They were so frustrating to me. I didn't know why. I didn't want to know how all the kids were doing. I want to know how my kids were doing. And there's nothing personal in there. How, I'm like, how's Brittany? How's Amanda? And you know what? You were probably the same way. I, mean, I remember when our kids were young 
And they would, the school plays, remember those days? For some of you that remember those, uh, and for some of you that, are, you that are living those now, they remember when they'd get on the platform, whether it's in church or whether it's in a school, and they'd be a part of a play? You know what? I, I'm just going to confess this to you. I never videoed the neighbor's kids. I mean, do you? Fact is, I didn't even see them up there. I only saw my kids. You go look at our videos, it is just Brittany or it is just Amanda. And here's the other cool thing. And when my daughters, Brittany or Amanda, when they stepped out on the platform, even though there are hundreds of people out, you know whose face they look for? They look for mom and dad. And we still see that today when they step up. You got all these kids, hey mom, hey dad, football players still do that. Why? Because of the intimacy, because of the relationship. They only have eyes for each other. And this is what Paul is trying to get us to understand, that you relate to him out of love and not fear, and he is close and he is not distant. Verse 16, it says, the Spirit testifies that we are God's children. This is huge. God's children, when he uses that children, that is the adoption of an adult. Man, you've got to grab this. See, Jewish culture had no mechanism for adoption. Fact is, in Jewish culture, you didn't adopt. Roman culture, you adopted. And so Paul takes to communicate to the Jews and to communicate to the Romans, he takes this principle out of secular life, out of their life, and says, you know what? It's a lot like a Roman adoption. And so you adopted as an adult son, you could. And when you adopted as an adult son, you got all the rights as the children. Fact is, the adult son became the manager of the estate even over the natural kids. And Paul is talking about the spirit of adoption, so, 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 he is, so we relate to him out of love and not out of fear. We relate to him uh, because he's close and not distant. Here's the last one. God is a father that is constantly affirming us. Some of you this morning, your life may not be perfect. Listen, we're all working on stuff. We're all working on junk. But he looks at your obedience. He looks at your heart. And some of you just need to understand this issue of adoptions. You see, when you study adoption in Roman culture, these big lights come on or these aha moments can happen because Paul is saying the same way that they adopt in Roman culture, that is the same way that God adopt, adult, a, adopts you. See, in Roman culture, when you adopted a child, that child could never be kicked out of the family. You could kick a natural child out in Roman culture, but when you adopted, man, there are some of you and you relate to him in fear, and so there's one week you think you're in the family, and the next week you think you're out. And it's all based upon your performance. It's all based upon the hoops you jump through and everything else because you're relating to him out of fear. Well, Paul says, Roman culture, when you were adopted, nobody could remove you from the family. And the children became heirs and they, with the father, and they became co-heirs with the natural-born children. And they got the same share of the inheritance, same share of the estate. Also, when someone is adopted in, in Roman culture, their past was considered behind them. They were cut from their ties of their family. Their past was wiped out. 
That's why we could say with great confidence that when you come to Christ, your junk and your stuff of your past, that's been wiped out. Man, that is, that is gone. It was the picture when you got adopted in Roman culture that you had a fresh start. That's the picture in the Christian life. See, in, 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 the, in the Roman culture, really the word that they used instead of adoption a lot of times was a different word that meant chosen. Nobody adopts accidentally. There's no accidental adoptions. It is something that is premeditated. It is something that someone would do and they were chosen to be in the family. See, when I was born, my parents did not choose me. I mean, they couldn't take me back. They couldn't swap me with another kid and another bassinet in the hospital before they went home. They, they couldn't reject me. I mean, you're like stuck in some ways. Now, my parents are, were, were like all good parents, and maybe you did this with your kids, and you'd tell your kids things like, well, you know, even though I didn't choose you, boy, if me and your father had have met you and known you, we would have chosen you, right, because you're so wonderful and you're so perfect. And, 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 and so we do that, but, and my parents do that, but the fact is, they didn't. They didn't choose me. They were stuck with me. Paul is saying, your heavenly father chose you. He is not stuck with you. He knows your past. He knows your junk. He knows your stuff. He knows your personalities. He knows your failings. He knows your sins. Oh, and that's another thing in Roman culture. When you were adopted, all of your debts were paid. In Roman culture, when you are adopted, they said, give me the Visa card bill, give me the America Express, give me the D Discover, give me the MasterCard. How much do you owe on your house? How much do you owe on your cars? How much personal debt are you carrying? And then the father wiped it out. See, they didn't ignore it like it didn't exist. It existed. Someone had to pay the debt. And their father that adopted them that, listen, that knew them, knew the, he knew the dollar figure. He knew how big the check was that he was going to, he knew how big the past was. He knew how big the debt was. And Paul is saying, your heavenly father, he knew your debt. He knew your sin debt. He knew the things that you're embarrassed about the stuff that you wish never took place. He, he knows the things that you'd like to have do-overs in life. He knows the things that you're totally embarrassed about. He knows all of that. He knows where you've, where, where you've failed, where you've stumbled, where you hurt, where you cause pain. He knows all of that. And listen, and he chose you anyway. And he didn't ignore the debt and say, like a grace dad, and say, well, no big deal. And he didn't do like the truth dad and say, you're going to pay for this. He said, someone has to pay the debt and you can't. I'm going to pay the debt for you and my son, Jesus Christ, is going to go to the cross for a debt that you could not pay. For a debt that he didn't incur. And he is going to go to the cross on your behalf. 
I mean, I've, I've talked. I've talked to couples that have adopted. And they tell me that one of the most emotional times in their life through that process was the very first time that child, their adopted child, called them mommy or daddy. That they realized it just wasn't some legal thing. It wasn't some paperwork issue. It wasn't some obligation. That there's a, re- a relationship. And God is affirming and he is not withholding And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We're heirs with Christ. We're joint heirs. There are some of you this morning you need to claim your inheritance. You've been living your Christian life as a slave. Just trying to do enough good stuff, just trying to work your way into the family. And it always leaves you feeling like you should have done more and woulda, coulda, shoulda. Galatians 4, 6, and 7, we looked at it through the Galatians series. And let me just read it one more time. Because this is just staggering to me. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. You're no longer trying to work your way into his kingdom and his family, and you're no longer a second-class citizen. But you're a son And if a son, then an heir through God. Max Lucado says with this verse that if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. (laughs) My dad wasn't a perfect dad because he's an earthly father and no dads are perfect. But one thing that he, he got right that I will never forget to this day. I'd graduated high school. I was about ready to go off to college and, and my dad was... He was a roughneck and oil field worker and worked his way up through Humble and then became Exxon and had a really nice position with them. And, and he wanted me to have the same heritage as him. I mean, he, he wanted me to, to, to die that summer, basically. And so, <laughs> so I became a roughneck and worked in a couple of oil fields out of Bay City, Texas. And so it was, you know, I drove 20 or 30 miles one way to a gas plant or a production site or whatever. And I had a Cougar XR7, 1973 Cougar XR7 for you gearheads, 351 Cleveland, Eldebrock intake, intake manifold, a Holley four-barrel double pumper 650 carburetor. I mean, you literally needed a garden hose to, to just, because it would just starve it. And so we could go to a small airport there in Bay City, Texas. I probably shouldn't be admitting all this, but you could buy what was called blue gas. It was airplane fuel. It was like 101, 110 octane, so the car went a little faster. And so I had headers and glass packs, ran 50s all the way around, the whole deal. And so I'm leaving leaving the job site, and so I wasn't traveling the speed limit. 
and I lost control and the car started hydroplaning on dry roads and, and so I was sliding sideways down this highway and came off the highway, went into a bar ditch. That's just for, for Texans, you know what that is. You guys are like, what? Um, we have so much water that we have bar ditches that where all the water runs so it doesn't flood the place. And I came into a bar ditch, came out of the bar ditch, and then all of a sudden I got a little bit of traction, so I straddled a fence. And so I'm, go, I'm going down a barbed wire fence and I'm watching the fence post. It was awesome. I mean, it really, I mean, it was like, you know, there's some of you got to enjoy. I'm like, wow, dude, watch this. And so the fence posts are like going over to boom, 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 just like in the movies. And and so I ran out, and the farmer, uh, he is the rancher, is furious because cows are like everywhere and, you know, and all this other stuff. So he's chewing me out. So I ask if I can use your phone. No cell phones in those days. Call my dad. And so my dad comes to pick me up. And so you know what it's like. Maybe you don't, but sit, <laughs> I'm sitting on the hood of, of, of my car and waiting for dad show up. And dad pulls up across the street, across the highway from me, and gets out and Man, our eyes meet, and you know, it's like eternity, and you're wondering what's he going to say, and he walks across, and he goes, well, son, when you ran out of fence on the front part, why didn't you hang a left and just take care of the back 40 for the guy? (laughs) And so we kind of laughed, and I says, well, dad, things were kind of crazy at the point. I was busy. So we tow the car home. It sat in front of our house for a couple of days and it went on to the junkyard because it was, it was a mess. <laughs> but I got my carburetor and parts off of it that I needed for the next one. <laughs> and my dad never really corrected me over that. And my dad put together a plaque. Before they came and picked it up, dad snuck out and he took off the hood ornament and got the key and got the the Hearst shifter emblem off of there and got some other emblems off of it because it had a lot. It's just a cool car. And he made a plaque. And uh, he, when I came in from work the next day, because things were rough, I went to, from that from a Ford LTD four-door. <laughs> and... Uh, it's just, I love you. That plaque still hangs in my office at home across from my desk as a memory of a father's love. That's God's love for you. It's God's love for you. And all those emblems and everything of your life that you remember those times of discouragement, that's his love for you and he can take that and redeem it so that when you look at it, there is not the hurt and the pain. There's memories. There's not the hurt and the pain of failure. Because you see a father's love who forgave you, who loves you, and who cares for you. Will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?